0: Welcome to the Hillside Church Denver podcast, the home for content from Hillside Church in Denver, Colorado. Hillside exists to help people belong to Jesus people, believe in Jesus, and become like Jesus. And we hope that what you hear today does just that. Go to hillsidedenver.org for more information about this community of Jesus followers. And if you're in the Denver area, we would love to welcome you in one Sunday morning. But for now, onto the pod. reading today comes from psalm 121 i lift my eyes towards the mountains where will my help come from my help comes from the lord the maker of heaven and earth he will not allow your foot to slip your protector will not slumber indeed the protector of israel does not slumber or sleep the lord protects you the lord is a shelter right by your side the sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night the lord will protect you from all harm he will protect your life The Lord will protect your coming and going both now and forevermore. Thank you, Damon. Well, good morning, everybody. I'd like to reiterate what Pastor Mindy said, and that is Pastors Dana and Nathan are here with us from Yuma, and it's a huge blessing to have them here. They're here to celebrate Zion's eighth birthday, so happy birthday, Zion, and thank you for leading worship today. We're so glad that you're here, and keep pastors Brandon and his wife Beth in your prayers too, because he's in Turkey, as Pastor Mindy said, training the pastors, and Beth and the family need prayers too. So thank you for having me with you today. I'm very happy to be here. I usually start with a story, if you remember. So afterwards, please come up and tell me what you think of this story. One morning, a man boarded an Amtrak train headed from New York City to Baltimore. He found a steward and said, Excuse me, sir, I always get nauseous when I go on trains, so I'm going to take a heavy sleeping pill. But please, do everything in your power to make sure I get off this train when it stops in Baltimore. I really can't miss my great aunt's funeral. Sure thing, the steward responded, we will make sure you get off. Four hours later, the train stopped, and the conductor's voice came across the PA system and said, Welcome to Washington, D.C. The man jumped out of his seat in a panic. What the heck? I asked you to wake me up in Baltimore. Now I'm going to miss my great aunt's funeral. Oh boy, he looks mad, said the fellow behind him to his wife. She whispered back, not half as mad as that other guy they carried off the train back in Baltimore. <laughs> I want to talk to you today about the God who doesn't take sleeping pills because he never slumbers or sleeps, and this is Psalm 121, verse 1. I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? If you've ever walked up here on the stage, for example, doing the Christmas decorations or just being part of the band, you'll notice back here, you can see it better when the shades are open, but this very verse is etched into that glass, Psalm 121, verse 1. I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where does my hope come from? It's very fitting that it says that there, because if you look out the window, you'll see those mountains, and they are beautiful, and how can you not look at the mountains, And wonder, where does my help come from? Where will my help come from when I don't see any help coming? Where will my help come from when I don't know how I'm going to make it through this year? Where will my help come from when I don't know where to go for help anymore? This says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? That's an important question to ask, and people ask that question every day. Where am I going to get help? And as followers of Jesus, we're blessed that we have the answer right here in the Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible. Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I have a coworker who tells me when she's teaching me stuff, read, this is an open book test. And you might have heard that when you were in school. This is an open book test and you get super excited, yay, this will be easy, right? And you know... In many ways, the Christian life, too, is an open book test. We know a lot of the answers. We can bring the Bible with us wherever we go. God has made himself known to us in the scripture, in Jesus Christ. He's shown us who we are in him. He's our God. We're his people. He made heaven and earth. Our help comes from him. We have the answer to the question. It's an open book test. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This is a great truth. It changes our lives. But how do we live that answer? It's not just a matter of I know the answer to the question. It's a matter of how do I live that answer when the rubber meets the road? How do we welcome God's care and his love and compassion and watchfulness over our lives? How do we live under God's care? And so for the next few minutes that we have, I want to think about two questions. First, what does God's care look like? Because we need to know this in order to answer the second question. And the second question is, how do we live under God's care? So question one, what does God's care look like? This is answered in verses three through eight. Verse three, he will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. The psalmist switches from the first to the second person here. In the first two verses, he used my. And then verses three through eight, he uses your. Because this is not just true for the psalmist, this is true for you. The psalmist says God is our protector. One theologian said, we will never call upon God till we're convinced in our heart that he is our guardian. God is the guardian of the galaxy. He's the guardian of the universe. But most important, he is your guardian. He's your parent. He's your father. He's your guardian. We will never call upon God till we're convinced in our heart that he's our guardian. So how do we convince ourselves of that? I'll give you a little historical context on Psalm 121 that may help. Psalm 121 is one of the songs of ascent that the ancient Israelites used to sing when they traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, which is Passover the festival of weeks, and the festival of booths, as prescribed in Deuteronomy 16. They called it a song of ascent, because as you're going into Jerusalem, you go up, 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 all the way to the city on the hill. The journey to Jerusalem was long. It could take a week. It could involve walking a hundred miles from home. Has anybody walked a hundred miles this week? Probably not. And you have to remember, when they were doing this hundred mile journey to jerusalem they didn't have air jordans they had sandals and they were not tevas and your feet would hurt bad they carried their own water they ate granola bars beef jerky fruit snacks they walked through valleys (laughs) desert land beside cliffs and caves and in bad weather they had to go through wilderness areas where there were predators there were bandits worst of all they had no cell service so if you were coming from galilee megan souder says the central and shortest route to jerusalem went through samaria she said pilgrims would have passed through the cities of Sepphoris, nazareth terza shechem shiloh and bethel although this route would have taken only three days by foot many jews chose to avoid it they preferred longer routes that were historically safer Souter says the jewish historian josephus records a violent quarrel between some Galilean Jews and Samaritans, while the Galileans were traveling through Samaria. Passing through this region carried real risks, yet Jesus and his disciples did indeed travel this path as we see in John 4. As a side note, this tells you something about Jesus. He's willing to take the dangerous road. You could also choose the eastern route to Jerusalem, which Sauter writes crosses the Jordan River, passes through the region of Perea, crosses back over the Jordan near Jericho. It would have taken pilgrims five to seven days to traverse it. Cities along this path included Beth Shean, Pella, Sukkot, and Jericho, as well as smaller villages like Bethpage and Bethany. Because of the Jewish communities in Perea, the region was safer and more hospitable than Samaria was for Galilean pilgrims. The third route, the final route that people would take on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, sorry, <laughs> is situated closer to the Mediterranean Sea, the western route, avoid Samaria, which is the dangerous part. This time, it favors the coastal plain. It was the longest way for Galilean pilgrims to reach Jerusalem. Pilgrims going that way would have gone through Megiddo, Aphek, Lot, and either Emmaus or Beth Horan. All of this is to say, the journey to Jerusalem was not only long and arduous, it was also dangerous. Even if you took the safer way, that made the journey longer and more expensive, and it gave more days for something to go wrong. So you could ask yourself, why would they do this pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year? It's dangerous. It costs a lot of money because it meant something to them. They wanted to obey God. So how did they endure the long and dangerous journey? They sang songs like Psalm 121 that reminded themselves, God is our protector. We're on a dangerous road, but God is our protector. And they reminded themselves of that. So how do you convince yourself that God is your guardian? You could start by singing the Psalms. And if you don't sing, then read the Psalms. It's okay. And let God by his word tell you he's your guardian. And once you feel assured in your heart that God is your guardian, and God will assure you of this by his spirit, then you will be wanting to call on him to protect you and be with you and do life with you. I was reading this week about Prince Harry, and he had a bodyguard that he gave a nickname to. If you had a bodyguard, do you think you would give him or her a nickname? Guess what nickname he gave him? Billy was his name, but his nickname was Billy the Rock. And one time, Prince Harry writes, somebody had a grenade in the crowd and threw it at him, and Billy the Rock pounced on the grenade. Thankfully, it was a fake, but that's what bodyguards do. They will do anything to protect the one they're called to protect, even if it costs them their very life. And we don't all get bodyguards like Billy the Rock, and even if we did, we'd have to pay them. They'd go off watch at the end of their shift, but when God is your bodyguard, you don't have to pay him, and he doesn't go off watch. His shift never ends, verse 4, indeed... The protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. When you were a kid, did you ever go to a slumber party? I went to one that I remember at our family friend's, the Felton's house. And I remember we put out sleeping bags in front of a TV. We made popcorn. We watched movies. The thing I didn't like about the slumber party was that Matthew, the son, had in the next room over a snake, and he named him Killer. And one time I was playing Super Nintendo, and I was having a great day, and he secretly got Killer out of his cage, and he thrust him into my face. And I pulled the controller so hard, the Super Nintendo fell off the shelf, the screen went black, Mario was done. And I ran screaming out of the room. So I was afraid that night, what if Matthew pulls a prank like this and brings Killer out? And even if he doesn't, the mom, Miss Irene, told me that one time Killer got out on his own. He went out of his cage and ended up coiled around in the bathtub. So I was very afraid that night about Killer. I had way too many Twizzlers. I had a lot of kid energy and it was the weekend. And so can you guess how much sleep I got that night? Zero. I thought it was supposed to be a slumber party, but I did not slumber, I did not sleep, and none of us did, so I've determined they should call these don't slumber parties. Then kids will either go or they won't go, but they'll know what they're getting into. You never slumber at them. You never do. Laying out your sleeping bag is an act. You don't actually sleep in it, and you feel like garbage in the morning. Now, I have a question for you. If you invited God to your slumber party, what would he do? He would lay out his sleeping bag, but I assure you he would not use it. He would stay up all night long and not because he's afraid of killer. And you know what? In the morning, he would not feel like garbage. He would feel alive and well because God does not slumber or sleep. And the meaning here is more than God does not slumber or sleep because he doesn't need it. That's true. God does not need sleep and he doesn't sleep. But the fuller meaning is that God watches over you 24 7. He doesn't just watch over you during the day shift, he watches over you during the day shift and the night shift. He watches over you during the morning shift, the afternoon shift, the evening shift. He covers all the shifts. He never calls out, he always reports for duty. Everything that happens in your life is always on God's watch. Verse 5, the Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. You can see why Psalm 121 is referenced a lot in discussions of the Christian doctrine of providence, which is the belief that by a special providence, God the Creator sustains cherishes and superintends all the things which he has made to the very minutest, even to a sparrow. You can read whole books on the subject, but the Christian belief in God's providential care for his world and his people is put well in an African-American spiritual called. He's got the whole world in his hands. And you probably know the words, and I'm not going to sing it, But I'll read it to you, and you know this. He's got the whole world in his hands. You sing that four times. (laughs) And then the verses are, he's got the wind and the rain in his hands. He's got the little tiny baby in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got you and me, sister, in his hands. And it ends with, he's got everybody here in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Jesus said are not two sparrows sold for a penny yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered so don't be afraid you're worth more than many sparrows David in Psalm 33 says from heaven the Lord looks down he sees all mankind from his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth he who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. God looks down from heaven. He sees you. He considers everything you do. And more than that, he protects you and is a shelter right by your side. Verse six, the sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. When you have a pair of opposites like that, the sun and the moon, the implication is that everything in between is included. The sun and the moon represent everything that could harm you. The psalmist is saying nothing is going to harm you, as we see in verse 7. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. Now, if we think about this for a minute, this seems to be saying nothing bad will ever happen to us. But it can't mean that because we know that bad things do happen to us and to those we love. We fail exams, we end up in the hospital. We watch relationships unravel, we see those we love suffer, eventually we lose those we loved most. So we have to take a step back and understand this is something we need to think about in light of the whole truth of the Bible. And we also have to remember that in Psalm 121, God's word is given in poetic form. And so we should be careful not to push the limits past what the writer intended. The psalmist is giving us the reality that the Lord is our protector. He's responsible for our life. He loves you. You belong to him. That's a precious truth. And we should always hold on one hand the truth that the Lord is our protector. While on the other hand, acknowledging that sometimes in this world we get hurt. Sometimes very badly in this world you will have trouble We know one day our life on this earth will come to an end. That doesn't mean God fails to be our protector. He never fails us. What it does mean is that this verse, like many in the Bible, has to find its ultimate fulfillment in the new creation, in eternal life, where we will never die again. We will never be afraid of dying again. We won't get wounded in heaven. We won't fall off our bikes anymore. We won't get headaches. We won't feel alone We won't get hurt in big ways or in small ways. We won't leave those we love. We won't lose those we love. Because, as the New Testament says, the old order of things will have passed away. In this life, there's harm. Just read the news. Think about your life. Think about the lives of those you love. But one day, nobody's going to be harmed anymore. God will set everything right, He will restore all that was lost. There will be no more sorrow, suffering, pain, or death. Those will be gone. Sin will be no more. And we know that Psalm 121 has this eschatological thrust, which is a push to eternity. Because of how it ends, verse 8, the Lord will protect your coming and going both now and forever. If you want to say, verse 7 tells us that God will protect your life in general on this earth. Verse 8 tells us God will protect our life in particular, both on this earth and in our life to come in eternity. God watches over you, not just in big things, but in small things, not just today, but every day, and forever after that. How could you not think of Psalm 139, which says, You've searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit, when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. That is what God's care looks like, and it's amazing. So the question is, how do we live under God's care? We begin to do that when we believe we do live under God's care. One theologian said what we should do is we should gather together whatever may be found throughout the whole scripture concerning the providence of God until this doctrine that God always keeps watch for us is deeply rooted in our hearts so that depending upon his guardianship alone we may say goodbye to all the vain confidences of the world. How do we live under God's care? When you read the Bible this week whatever passage you're reading ask what is this telling me about God's care for my life? And spend a month Just reading the Bible, and if something tells you that God cares for your life, then write it down and remember those things and read them over so that you can say goodbye to the things that you're tempted to put your confidence in. Number two, how do you live under God's care? The Bible says put your anxiety on Him. Cast it all on Him, on Jesus, because He cares for you. Elvis Presley read this verse. And he wrote, take your troubles to the chapel, get down on your knees and pray. Then your burdens will be lighter and you'll surely find the way. You can live under God's care because he cares for you by casting all your anxiety on him. And when you do that, you're living under his care and he will care for you. He will take his... He will take... His hands, and he will take your anxiety and he will trade it and he'll give you his peace that passes all understanding. And also don't forget that one of the ways God takes your anxiety is by providing for you the people, the therapy, the help, and the care that you need to move towards a life that is no longer dominated by anxiety. He's provided all of this for you to help you because he cares for you. It's not just a matter of Jesus, take this. Yes, do that. Ask him to take it. But also, he wants you to get help from the people and the ways he's given you to get healthy help. Verse 3, number 3. Remember, at the end of the day, it's not a matter of trying hard to live under God's care. I saw this poster. You may know this quote. It has Yoda on it, the big one, not the baby one. And the big Yoda, he says four words. words. There is no try. You don't try to live under God's care. You do live under God's care. Regardless of whether you believe it and regardless of whether you try. There is no try. You live under God's care whether you stand or whether you fall, whether you believe it or whether you don't. One of my favorite Christian musicians said, if I stand, let me stand on the promise that you'll pull me through. And if I can't, Let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you. Now, I have one last thing, and this is it. One last thing to say about living under God's care on the days when it feels like He doesn't care. We all, at some point in our lives, feel like we're living at the end of a lonely street on the Heartbreak Hotel. And it's an awful place to live. And it feels like God doesn't give a rip. But we have to remember this. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the men stepped forward and they seized Jesus and they arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword and drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my Father and he'll at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scripture be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? And you know, we're not Jesus and we will never be. But in Jesus Christ, God does not allow his history to be his and ours ours, but he causes them to take place as a common history. And so just as the Father had a plan and purpose for Jesus's life, He has a plan and purpose for your life too. And we can ask, why God? Why did you allow this to happen? Why didn't you answer my prayer? And You may have suffered great tragedy and you find yourself way off from where you hope to be. But when you sit with God from time to time, not every day, but from time to time, he will imprint on your heart by his spirit that he is still good. He is still with you. He still loves you, and he still has a plan. Do you think God could have stepped in and stopped the tragedy? Of course he could have done that. Why he allowed a painful road, we don't know, and we're all going to carry questions with us to heaven. But just as the scripture was fulfilled that said Jesus had to be the suffering servant, So the scripture will be fulfilled that in the new creation, God's dwelling place will be with his people and he will dwell with them. They'll be his people. God himself will be with them. He'll be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus said. But he didn't end there. He said, take heart because I've overcome the world. He fulfilled the scripture by his death on the cross and by his resurrection, he guarantees the eternal life God has promised us in heaven in the new creation. It will forever be true in every way at all times that God will protect our life from all harm. He will protect the lives of those we love. And so we have hope today and we can say with confidence that God has you and me in his hands He's got everybody here in his hands, and he's got the whole world in his hands. Do you believe that? So let's pray. God, sometimes it's hard to believe that you are protecting us at all times. Bad things happen to us, to those we love, and we question and wonder and doubt. But we ask you today by your spirit, would you assure us that you do protect us, that you do hold us and those we love in your hands. Whether you're holding us in your hands in this life or in eternity, we're always in your hands. Would you help us to believe it? Would you push that truth to our hearts by your spirit? Would you carry us through every single day? Thank you for your love and care and compassion over our lives. We pray that we would live in faith, that we would just enjoy the Christian life in your hands. And we would sit there and we would feel loved and that you would never let us go. We pray that in your name. Amen.